So obviously the majority of the stories that I'd like to share with my listeners happen abroad because they're exotic and unique and provide a real opportunity to explore cultures through the lens of medicine. But one of the most poignant stories that I think deserves attention happened here in America. In my past, I've worked in a state prison. And for purposes of privacy and HIPAA compliance, I'm not going to state the actual location or give any identifying information about the gentleman. But safe to say that this was a 50-year-old African-American male who was a patient of mine in prison. This particular prison housed about 4,000 inmates, many of whom were there for life sentences. And he came in for a blood pressure check, and his blood pressure was through the roof. I think it was 210 over 180. He's sitting down in the office with me. Doors open. There's uh, custody officers all around, of course. And proceeds to fidget around and look just totally off. Super sweaty, red bloodshot eyes, twitchy, unable to sit still, and sort of like that glass-glazed eye appearance that I see in a lot of patients who do drugs. And so I flat out ask him, hey, dude, are you on drugs? And I ask all of my patients. I'm very honest with all my patients because I feel like if I'm honest with them and approach them with respect but honesty, they're going to do the same with me. He proceeds to look at me and say, I'm not on drugs now, but I actually just started using methamphetamines and I don't know why. I said, okay, well, you've been in prison for eight years now and it sounds like you're paroling in 10 months. So what's the deal? What's going on? And he said, my celly is a meth user, and he's also a dealer, and he's been trying to get me to try it for a couple of years now, and all of a sudden I gave in. I said, okay, well, between you and I, there has to be something going on for you to give in at this point in time if you never use drugs in your past. So this gentleman proceeds to tell me that he's getting out in 10 months and that he's super anxious to parole. He has become accustomed to prison, to having a cellmate he can rely on, to the rituals of daily life, including timeouts and night curfew at 9 p.m. and waking up at 5 a.m. and chow hall and the movements involved in, in daily life in prison, and that he's not sure that he's going to succeed or do very well once he's paroled. And I said, okay, I would probably be in the same circumstance and really freaked out. So we continue to talk about that. And during this process, I try to develop a trusting relationship with him. I throw in a few jokes, which never hurts. When someone's high, they're gonna probably laugh or hit me in the face, but in this case, he laughed. And really didn't jump down his throat. Just said, hey, listen, I'm worried about you, not because you look high right now, but because I'm worried about what the future will look like for you once you're paroled. Why don't I set you up with another appointment in seven to 10 days and we can talk more about it. So he comes back about seven to 10 days later and he looks like a different person. His eyes are clear. He looks well fed. He's not sweaty. He is relaxed and he's smiling and he's connecting with his eyes. And I asked him how he was doing. And he said he had been doing fairly well. He still had many urges to do meth and had sort of disclosed to his celly that he was no longer going to do drugs with him, but still felt like he was using that as an escape mechanism. So I sit with him for a couple of minutes and I tell him, let's, let's try to visualize what the future is going to look like. Because I know right now you're here in prison and it feels comfortable, but I want you to think about what the tastes and smells and feel of freedom are going to look like and how valuable that is and what you may possibly be giving up because of the meth use. And I know how hard it is to be in prison and to think nothing of your daily routine and what's familiar to you, but what the world is going to actually physically feel like with all of your sensory organs once you're out of here. 
and I went through it with him. I walked down the street in fall time with leaves on the floor and the smell of leaves, seeing kids play on their bikes and birds overhead, and what it's going to be like to go to sleep in a house without bells or alarms or clinking metal, and to wake up and to cook eggs and the sounds and smell of crackling eggs in the morning, and just to give him a sense of what the future that he's forgotten about could look like. And so the world's your oyster as a patient. If you come to any doctor, really, who is there to help you and you engage with them and you're honest and you provide feedback, either good or bad, it shows me that you're interested and engaged. And that therapeutic process can be really, really special and really miraculous in some ways. And I felt like that connection with this guy was so important to his therapy and to his possible sobriety that I continued making these appointments every five to 10 days. And my staff would look at me and be like, dude, you can't make an appointment for him every five days. Like that's for people who are dying of liver cancer here in prison. You know, he needs to be followed up in 90 days. And I was like, I don't care. I'll see him even if I have to stay late. So we continued to do that. And he sobered up and he recognized that he was putting his life in jeopardy and his future in jeopardy and uh, really, really was doing it for himself, more so than for me or for the relationship, but really doing it out of a a place of self-preservation and because he wanted the best for himself in the future. 